I know that uh, most of you get email. Does everybody pretty much get email? Y'all know what email is? Everybody know about email? I get a lot of email. I, I, get, I get a ton of email every day. But email can be categorized. Have you, have you noticed how you can categorize email just by looking at it? You can categorize it. Now, I'm a stickler when it comes to email. I don't like to have any unread email in my inbox. I cannot stand that little red uh, on, on my, my, my different uh, uh, things, whatever those things are devices on, on those different devices. I cannot stand that little, that little red thing that says how many email are unread. Now, there are others on staff with us who have like a thousand unread email. That's just terrible. It's just terrible. It, anyway, so what I have to do is I have to go through a journey of, of, of looking at the email, categorizing the email, and I do that. And, and so uh, I'll get email. I get uh, you know, several hundred email a day and just crazy. Right. And, and so I'll get it, but immediately I can identify the spam and, and you get spam email. Can I just tell you, if nobody's told you there not, there really isn't a person in Nairobi who has a million dollars waiting to give you a portion of that. If you'll just give them some of your personal information, that person does not exist. Okay, that's spam. And, and so I can go through and I can identify spam and I'll delete, 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 delete. I can't take great delight in deleting spam. And delete, 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 delete. So I'll, I'll go through and this spam and I don't pay any attention to spam. I don't read it. I don't even open it. I will just delete it. Mark it as red, delete it. And I have to mark it as red because if I delete it without marking it as red, then it'll go into my delete file and there'll be a little box up there that says that there are some unread, deleted, and I can't stand those little numbers above any of my box. So right, mark is red, don't open it, mark it as red, delete it. And that's spam, and that's how I handle spam. And then there's other email that I get every day, and it's just informative. Uh, there is a sale going on at Hollister, 20% off of jeans. I do not get that because I wear Hollister jeans. Anyway, so, so you get informative. And, and some of that informative is, uh, is, is uh, like articles. There are some, some, uh, some uh, uh, agencies or companies that I subscribe to that have little, little pieces of information that they'll send me. And, and so they'll send me this information and, you know, the four best ways to, uh, to lead your team, you know, that kind of thing. And, and I might look at those. If, if they really spark my interest or if it's something that I really need in that moment, then maybe I'll open it up and I'll read it. I might even send it on to somebody. But you usually don't save it. I'll probably just take a look at it, glimpse, maybe write down a few things that may be helpful for me in the days ahead or in that, my current situation. And then I'll delete it and move on. So I have spam and I have infor- informative uh, informational uh, email and, and those are and I, I usually delete those and then there's a third type of email and that's that's from friends or maybe some of you all you, know, you send me email and and every Monday morning I get email no I mean good email I get good email I, I get the other two but that's spam so anyway I, 
I'm just kidding. I read, I read your criticisms. Critiques. You don't call them criticism. You call them critiques. But, uh, no, I'm just kidding. I, I do get email from people every single Monday. And, and the good ones, the ones, there are people right now who every Monday morning send me uh, email encouraging me, t- telling me something they took away from the worship experience or life group experience that they had. And, and, and I'll take those emails and I save those emails. I'll read them, they encourage my heart, and then I I put them in a special encouraging words, literally, an encouraging words file folder, and I put them right in there so that I can go back on a particularly tough Monday and open them back up and read them and say, they like me, they really do like me. Just kidding. They're encouraging words. I love those, okay? So, so, but but then I'll put them in a file. I, I I'll take the words of encouragement, and, and I, they inspire me for the moment, but I don't always remember everything about those encouraging emails, but just the high points. And then there's a, a fourth category of email, when my wife sends me an email. When my wife sends me an email, I open it immediately. I read it intently. I parse words. I diagram sentences. I try to discern the mood behind the words. Yesterday, she sent me an email because her phone had died. She sent me an email, and and when I got it, I opened it, and I looked at it, and it said, I'm at Walmart. So I thought, does she want me to go to Walmart too? Which Walmart is she at? Is she happy while she's at Walmart? How is she feeling? Does she need help? At the very least, I knew that that meant when she gets back from Walmart. I, I, I was doing a wedding. If I got home in time and, and she had, had gotten home from Walmart and I'm there, I need to be ready, urgent, quick to unload the car. And I take, I mean, Edie sends me an email. I'm going to, I'm going to tear that thing apart. I'm going to read it several times. I'm going to study it. I'm going to get to know what that email says, even if it's only like I'm at Walmart. Because she is the boss of me. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. But uh, because... I know that she loves me and I love her and she's the most important earthly relationship I have. And so I want to know what she says. I want to know, I want to know what's going on in her life. I want to know how that influences the way I live my life. I want to know everything about that email. And I'm not being preachery on that. I mean, I really, that, that is absolute truth. Um, now, today we're continuing this What We Believe series. And uh, we began with what we believe about God, and then we looked at what we believed about man. Philip preached from Psalm chapter 8, what is man that you are mindful of him, O God? And and we saw that man, uh, according to Scripture, is made in God's image, Um, and, and man is alienated from God by sin, and man can become a new creature in Christ, a new creation. And we saw that this is who man is, humanity. Uh, today we're going to look at what is Scripture. And we're going to evaluate what Scripture is. Now, before we dig deep into 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, that's the passage, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. The reason this is the passage is because this is the classical passage. Or I could have preached all of Psalm 119. 
with 160 verses or something like that. But all of Psalm 119 is about Scripture, and these two verses are about Scripture. And I figured that I would only take like 35, 40 minutes and preach these two verses rather than take three days and preach Psalm 119. I think about you. I really do. I care about what's going on in your life. Um, but a- as we open to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17, let me ask you how you treat God's Word. Before we, before we open up and begin to discern what the Bible says about itself, let's, let's, let's evaluate what we really believe about the Bible. See, how we behave tells us what we believe. So do you believe that Bible is spam? You look at it, and you trash it. And, and, and it, you, might, you might get a little reminder every day that this is what the Bible says, but, but you see it, but you don't take hold of it. You, you immediately throw it in the delete box. Do you treat the Bible as spam? Or maybe you treat the Bible as some little informational article. Just a little piece of information that might, that might give you a... a, a, a just, just a handle on certain aspects of your life. Nothing wrong with that, but, but maybe that's all you see the Bible is good for. Just give me a good slogan for the day. And by the way, if you're looking for a good slogan, I encourage Romans chapter 12, verse 12. If, if you're looking for a slogan, here's a good one. Romans 12, 12. Be joyful in hope. Be patient in troubles. Be constant in prayer, Romans 12, 12. There you go. There's your slogan for the day. Now, you might not think about the Bible for the rest of the day, but you got your little slogan. And again, not bad, just incomplete. Maybe you look to the Bible as just a little informational piece. Or maybe maybe the Bible is more than that for you. Maybe it is something to encourage you in difficult days. Maybe it's something to, to, to hang your hat on, that you're going to hold on to those good words, the promises of God's Word. And, and you need those, and we need those, that, that come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. That's what Jesus said. I want to hold on to that, don't you? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Amen? Philippians 4, 3. I like that. I want to hold on to that. There are passages like that that we can hold on to, and it's, it, 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 it's, it encourages us. But can I suggest that perhaps... Even taking the Bible as just encouraging words filled with promises from God, and that's all we do, that, that's also incomplete. See, the Bible should be taken the way I take Edie's emails. I, I should take hold of the Bible and peruse it, study it, immerse myself in it, allow it to be immersed in me. I need to take the Bible as, as God's love letter to me. And, and really what 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17 tells us is that the Bible delivers to us God's words. The Bible delivers to us God's words. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, listen to these words. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, so that the man of God or the woman of God may be thoroughly equipped, may may be complete, 
thoroughly equipped for every good work. All that, all those words, it means one thing, that the Bible gives us God's words for life, to live by. God's words. Now, many times you'll hear me talk about the Bible as Scripture. In fact, today you'll hear me say Scripture and Bible, and I use those two terms synonymously. When I say Scripture, when I say Bible, I'm talking about Genesis 1-1 to the end of Revelation. All that's contained here, that is Scripture, that is the Bible. But you'll also hear me describe it as God's Word. Big W, singular. God's Word, the Bible, Scripture. All of those are synonymous as I use them. But here, I'm talking about something a little bit different. Same thing, but a little bit different, not synonymous. The Bible, God's Word, Scripture, delivers to us literally God's words. God's words. Not just the big word, the big idea. Not not just uh, conceptually, but literally God's words. Words. Now, why would I say that? Why do we believe that? Well, because of what we hear Paul write in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. That phrase, inspiration of God, literally means that the Bible has been breathed out by God. The Bible has been breathed out by God. Inspiration literally is a verb that means this. That's what it means. And we wanted to make it sound nice and, and Englishy. And so we said inspired, which comes from a Latin, which means to breathe. Exactly. It's, it literally means to breathe out. Now, <clears throat> breathing out, it, it's, it, it's, it's in some ways a symbol. But it's a symbol that has great significance. All Scripture is breathed out by God literally means that God spoke it through His Spirit to the hearts and minds of individuals who then wrote it. And now we've got it. Okay, so so that's the process. The process is that God spoke it through His Holy Spirit to the hearts and minds of individuals who then wrote it, and now we have it. God's words. God spoke it by His Holy Spirit to the hearts and minds of individuals who then wrote it in their own personality and and with their own creativity even, but they wrote God's words words which now we receive. So so when we hear that God's word is uh, is breathed out what we need to understand is that that means it has the highest level of authority. God's words to us the Bible has the highest authority. In fact, in our church in our covenant in our constitution which we have it says that we believe that all scripture Uh, that Scripture is verbally and plenarily inspired, uh, that it is inerrant in its original manuscripts, I'm quoting, 
and that the Bible is the final and supreme authority for life and faith. Now, that's our covenant, First Baptist Church in Orville. That's when you became a member, you signed on for that. The Bible is the final and supreme authority. Why? Because we believe that the authority rests in the author. Because God is the author of the Bible... The Bible has the same authority that God has. Now, some of you should have a problem with that. The reason you should have a problem with that is because you're not living like the Bible is supreme authority. You're acting like it's a good book, that it has some good things to say, but it does not impinge upon my daily life. It does not influence how how I behave in my relationships with somebody else. It will not overturn what I'm feeling inside. Actually, have had individuals tell me, I can say this or do this because I feel like it. Now, these are supposed to be individuals who are followers of Jesus and have been followers of Jesus for decades. But because they feel like it, they can ignore what Scripture says and do whatever they want. No, 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 no. Not if we are mature followers of Christ. See, a mature follower of Christ uh, may not perfectly obey what God's Word, but at least we know when we're being disobedient to God's Word. We might not perfectly obey what God says, but we understand that when we don't do what God says in his word, that we're wrong. Even if our feelings, even if our emotions, even if in our relationships, even if at our work, everything's contrary to scripture, it, 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 it runs counter to what God says in his word, we understand that the Final authority for why we do what we do and how we do what we do is not how we feel, not what we want, not what we like, but rather it's what God says. In a few weeks, we're going to, in two weeks, we're going to talk about the church. And I really, I I really encourage you to be here for that discussion. Because we're going to look long and hard at the church, how God designed it. We're also going to look at our church. Can I just humbly suggest that we get in trouble in the church as the church when the Bible is not the final authority for our life and for our practice? Many times as pastor, over a couple of decades of pastoring people, I've had people, some of them holding you know, the chair of spiritual authority in the church, I've had many people come to me and tell me that we don't need to be doing A or B or we need to be doing D or C, or C or D, depending on if you need to do it that way. And I ask them why, and they say they'll have lots of reasons. Well, it, it, it will do this, or Betty Jo likes it, or uh, actually I had somebody come up to me and say, well, this person who gives a lot of money to the church wants it that way, so we need to do it that way. Now... 
Now, here's the problem with that. The problem with that is it sets my desires, my wants, my needs, or the needs of someone else above even what the Bible says. The question is not whether Susie Q likes it. The question is whether God approves it. And you can use all of your cultural arguments, but that cultural argument works both ways. Just because you like it a certain way doesn't mean you get it a certain way. Just because I want it a certain way doesn't mean I get it a certain way. You know what the rule of faith and order is? The rule for life and faith is not what you want or what I want. It's what the Bible says. Now, you want to have a great discussion? And the kind of discussion that, that believers and family of faith people ought to have? It's not what you like. It's not what I like. It's what the Bible says. So how about let's open God's Word. Let's have a good discussion about the things that we ought to be doing. Come back in a couple of weeks. It'll be fun. Scripture is breathed by God. So the authority of Scripture rests in the author of Scripture. Because God is the author, what we have in Genesis to Revelation has supreme and final authority for us. It overturns everything else. Uh, One of the things I thought about doing is coming up here and having all this, uh, uh, getting a desk up here and bringing a bunch of my books, and I have a ton of books, and bringing a bunch of books and just piling them up here. And saying, specifically, the difference between all the books, even the religious texts of other faith traditions, like the Quran, the difference between all of these books and this book is that this book is breathed by God. And those are just books. They may be good books. And they may have good advice. And they may have good counsel. And they may have good sayings. They might be entertaining. But those are just books. This, this is God's words to us. Breathed out by God. So, Scripture is breathed out by God. It goes on, Paul says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instructions in righteousness. All right? So, what is that saying? Well, it means that Scripture tells us the right way of living. Scripture shows us how that we can live rightly. Um, the, the, The challenge for us... All right, I won't say us. The challenge for me, I'm, I'm hot. I'm, I, I, uh, the challenge for me, what gets me in a mess, what, what makes a mess of my life, what, what leads to chaos in my world, is not that I don't know Scripture. I don't know if you know this, but I know Scripture. I mean, I, I don't know all of it. But I've worked real hard to know what the Bible says. I've even memorized a, a chunk of it. Not a whole chunk. I mean, well, I mean a chunk. I, and, and if you can't, I mean, I try my hardest to memorize even the passages that I preach on a Sunday morning, which I try to memorize those bad boys, right? And so, and the reason is because it's important, not just so I can quote it without looking at my notes. I, I do have notes up there, by the way, y'all may not know that, but uh, so I can quote it without using my notes. But, but the reason I do this is because at a very early age, like, like eight or nine, I was in a thing called Vacation Bible School where there was a verse that we would memorize and it said, out of Psalm 119, Thy word have I hidden in my heart that I might not... 
sin against thee. And I realized early on that what that verse meant was, I don't want to sin, so I'm going to hide God's word in my heart. And I had somebody tell me, here's what it means to hide God's word in your heart. It means you memorize it. And so I started memorizing, and, and, and I thought, well, it, the more stuff I'll memorize, the less sin I'll do. And that, that's a good concept. I mean, it really is. It's a great concept. As I grew older, though, I began to learn how to memorize Scripture without letting it sink its roots into my soul. See, Psalm 119 says, your word have I hidden in my heart. You know what that means? It doesn't mean that you've made it a secret thing in your heart. It means that God's word has become part of your heart. Where God's word sinks its roots into the core, the soil of my soul, and influences me. But what I realized was I could actually memorize scripture and it not really make a difference in my life. I could memorize scripture and I could recite it and my heart could still be hardened against it. You know how you know if your heart is hardened against what God's Word says? Really not that complicated. Do you know how your heart's hardened against what God's Word says? You don't do what God's Word says. Oh, we like to make it all theological. It's real simple. Our heart is hardened against what God's Word says when we don't do what God's Word says. Our heart is really hardened against what God's Word says when we refuse. It's not, I mean, we know what God's Word says. We know what God says, and we know that we're supposed to do what God's Word says. But we say, "Uh uh-uh, I have a right today. I give myself permission right now to ignore what God's Word says. I don't care what God's Word says. That's when your heart is really hardened against God's Word and against God. And by the way, That's when I create the biggest mess in my life. And you will too. The greatest chaos in life comes when we recognize what God says, but we say we just don't care. We allow God's word to touch our head, but it doesn't become part of our life. Um. One of, the, one of the challenges in 2 Timothy 3.16 is, is God's word is beneficial for doctrine. And doctrine means that's God just telling us how we're supposed to live. How we're supposed to live every day according to the purpose and according to the design with which he has made us. Doctrine is, is living life God's way. That's, that's what he's saying. It, the scripture tells us the way we're supposed to live. But here's the problem. We don't always live the way God's Word tells us. Can I get a testimony? All right. As long as we're all on the same page. There there are things that God's Word tells us to do that God tells us to do through His Word that we don't do. And that gets us off course. And so, not only is God's Word beneficial for uh, doctrine, teaching us the right way to live, but also for correction and for reproof. I'm not going to get into the distinction between reproof and correction other than to say reproof is like God's going to set up some gates to push us in the right direction. You know, if you've ever been to a, uh, 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 an auction of cattle and how they get them in the chute to move them into a particular pen, you ever seen them do that? 
Uh, you can watch an old Western show, something like that. Right? But, but they put them in a chute and they move them in a certain direction. That, that's, that's reproof. That's what Scripture does. It gets us, gets us in a chute to move us in a common direction. But then there's the correction side of it too. Now the correction is not the chute that moves us in the right direction. Correction is the hammer that breaks our leg or legs so that we're drugged back or dragged back to where we need to be, okay? So, so that, and, and I know it's hard for us to uh, take hold of Scripture as a hammer, but uh, if you've ever been on the receiving end of it, you, you would say, absolutely, I know. Because I've been on the receiving end of it more than once, multitudes of times. So what, what, what Paul is saying is, here's what Scripture does. Scripture uh, not only teaches the right way to go, but it tells us when we're off course to get us back on course. Yesterday, I went to uh, do a wedding, uh, and as I was on my way, uh, before I left the house, I had two uh, sets of directions. I had the directions from GPS, uh, Lucinda. Lucinda's my GPS companion. Lucinda, uh, I plugged the address into Lucinda, and Lucinda told me the way to go, and Lucinda was going to be talking to me the whole way I was going there. So that's Lucinda. But uh, the person who actually lives in the house where I was doing the wedding, the groom, the one who goes there every single day and leaves from there every single day, the, actual, the person who actually lives in the house, he sent me different directions. And here's what he said in the email that he sent me. He said, GPS will take you to places you do not want to go. <laughs> so here are the directions you need to get to where you need to go. Okay? So... I hedged my bets anyway. I had Lucinda talking, and I had the directions in front of me. The directions from the person who actually lives in the house. I had those, and I had Lucinda. And Lucinda says, take a left. And, 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 and I took a left while it was still following the directions. They agreed. They agreed. They agreed. And then there came a point where they didn't agree anymore. And by the way, that's what happens to us sometimes. See, our hearts, our motions, the, the voices in our head, they agree with what God's Word says up to a point. But there comes a point where the voices, our feelings, our emotions, people around us, what they say doesn't agree with what God's Word says. There comes a point where they don't agree anymore. Anyway, so I got to this point where Lucinda was saying, go straight, and, and the direction says uh, that, that the person who actually lives in the house, he said, take a left here. And so I was faced with a decision. Good news, good, good news. I actually followed the directions of the person who actually lives in the house. And I took a left. And then Lucinda got mad. <laughs> huh? You know what I'm talking about? Lucinda got crazy. Would you please stop going the way you're going and turn around, you dummy? You're not doing what I've told you to do. You're not going in the direction I'm telling you. Will you stop it? Make a U-turn. 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 And Lucinda just wouldn't stop. But the good news is I kept my focus on the directions that the person who actually lives in the house gave me. And I got to the house on time and had the wedding celebration. Well, that's what happens to us. I mean, we have all these voices in our heart and in our head telling us what we need to do. 
And they get loud sometimes. They even get adamant sometimes. Do this, do that, do the other thing. And they promise stuff. I mean, Lucinda was promising to get me to the, to the wedding on time. But she was not going to keep her promise. You've got people around you, you've got voices in your head. And they say, if you'll just do it this way, stop worrying about what the Bible says. Just do it this way. Then you'll have more joy than you can shake a stick at. It'll be so much fun. Don't worry about it. But if we will follow Scripture, if we will submit ourselves to what Scripture says, not what our emotions say, but what the Bible says, if we'll we'll stop trying to live according to what our friends are doing or friends are saying and start doing it the way the Bible says, if we stop listening to all those voices in our head that continue to talk, am I the only one that hears those voices? If we stop listening to all those voices in our head and just listen to what God's Word says, then we'll stay on course. But if we get off course, and we will, can, can we all agree? Let's just, let's just all agree. There's going to be a day when you're going to listen to Lucinda more than you listen to what God's Word says. And when that day happens, you need to understand that God's going to give you the shoot The course correction, the reproof. He's going to try to nudge you back into the right course of action. And I thank God for the nudges. Don't you thank God for the nudges? Man, I thank God for the nudges. But if I ignore the nudges, the hammer's coming. And today, even with a limp in my spirit, I thank God for the hammer. You hear what I'm saying? Even today with the scars that the hammer has left, I thank God for the hammer. Because it was only through the hammer hitting me and pushing me back, dragging me back to where I needed to be, that I began to taste life again. Good news about the Bible. Can I tell you the good news about the Bible? Is that even though when we ignore it, we create this mess. And in our mess that we have made, it seems like a Gordian knot that you can't untangle. And the truth is, I can't untangle the mess that I have made. But praise God, when we submit ourselves to the Holy Spirit, speaking through the Word of God, He will navigate us out of that mess. And piece by piece, moment by moment, He will untangle our Gordian knot and lead us back to that place of safety and security and completeness and wholeness and joy again. But we have to submit to the Spirit of God speaking through the Word of God. See, some of us here today, our hearts are so hardened against God and against His Word. I mean, we smile. We'll say the spiritual stuff. Come on, don't play the spiritual game with me. I mean, you know what I'm saying? I mean, don't don't put on your little smiley face and, and act like everything's okay when you are absolutely rejecting what God says. And the reason I say don't do that with me is because I can do it better than you. I, I've got that game down. I'm a preacher's kid. 
And I was good at it too. I, I've got the game down. Don't play that game. You know where that game leads you? Chaos. Stop pretending like you're all spiritual. That you got everything together. That you're being perfectly obedient. When you know in your heart and God knows and the Bible tells you clearly that you are being disobedient, being rebellious against the word, being hard-hearted to what God says. Stop playing the game. Uh, write down Hebrews chapter 4. I, I've forgotten the beginning verse, verse 11 or something like that. No, 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 that's not right. Uh, 8, 9, somewhere in there. You'll, you'll find it. The word of God is sharper uh, than any two-edged sword. It's living and it's powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, able to pierce to the depths of our soul, dividing even the bone and the marrow, and is the discerner of the heart. You know what the Word of God does? The Word of God does heart surgery on our hardened heart. And it will cut us open, and it will reveal specifically where we are rebellious against God. Now, guys, i got to tell you, I need that heart surgery. Not once in a while. Not occasionally. I need that surgery, not even daily. I need that surgery moment by moment throughout the day. And I get that surgery when I allow God's word to sink into the soil of my soul and saturate me and adjust my life minute by minute by minute. Scripture gives us the right way to live. The third thing we see is is that Scripture not only gives us the right way to live, but Scripture equips us to serve. Scripture, scripture equips us to serve. Uh, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for, uh, for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Now, what's the result? So that, so that the man or the woman of God might be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Can, can I just touch on this phrase, uh, so that the person of God, the man of God, the woman of God might be complete. Can I just touch on that? Complete there doesn't mean perfect without fault. Complete there doesn't mean that at all. What it means is you are, you are satisfied. You don't have any missing parts. Your soul is completely saturated with joy and peace and hope. Why? Because you're adjusting your life to fit what God wants. And when we adjust our life to fit what God wants, when we stop pretending like we've got all the answers, we stop pretending like our emotions or our wills or our likes uh, are more important than what God's Word says, when we stop pretending and we submit ourselves to what God says in His Word, it's in that moment that we are fit for God's favor. Haven't earned it, but we're fit for it. And the more we're fit for God's favor, the more our appetite yearns for it. And the more our appetite yearns for God's favor, the more he feeds us his favor. And the more he feeds us his favor, the more satisfied we are. Because we are satisfied completely in him. Some of us are satisfied by a lot of cotton candy moments. No, we take one little cotton candy here, take a little cotton candy there, take a little cotton candy there. We have these relationships that we've exalted to the place of supremacy in our life as though those relationships were God himself. We've taken, we've, we've taken uh, our, our emotions and set them on a pedestal and acted like what God's word said doesn't apply to me because I don't feel it. We've done all these things and we, we think that that's going to satisfy, it's going to make us happy, and it does for a cotton candy moment. A cotton candy moment, you know how cotton candy makes you satisfied? Like that? 
and it lasts that long, and then you're sticky and you're sickly and you ride a roller coaster and you throw up. (laughs) And that's what we do. And that's what we've done. But if we're going to be satisfied without any missing pieces, it's when we submit ourselves and adjust our lives, adjust our emotions, adjust our thoughts, adjust our relationships, adjust our work, adjust everything that we do in the church, outside the church, wherever we are, we adjust it to what God's word says, then we will be complete. We will be made whole. We will find a satisfied life, not a cotton candy moment, but satisfaction that seeps into the core of our soul and transforms our life daily. And then he says, so that the man of God, the woman of God, may be, equi- uh, may, may be complete, thoroughly equipped. Now, we'll talk about this in a couple of weeks but uh, when we talk about the church. But thoroughly equipped, you know what that means? It means, first of all, that God has given you your talents, he's given you your abilities, he's given you your spiritual gifts, so that you can use them for him. He's given you stuff so that you can use them for him. You know what the difference between a good servant and a bad servant is? A good servant is one who understands that he has been gifted with these uh, gifts and skill sets and, and abilities, personality. He's been gifted with all these things, that, that the master gave him all these things, and a good servant sees that and uses all of those, those things that the master has given him so that he might do what the master wants. So he might fulfill the purpose of the master. That's a good servant. You know what a bad servant is? A bad servant is one who takes all of those gifts, all that skill set, all those, all those talents, and decides that he has them, so he wants to use them for himself. Not about what the master wants, it's, what about, it's all about what I want. Some of us are here today, and God has gifted you greatly. He has given you a whole set of skills. He has, he, he has shown you all these wonderful things and talents that he's given you. But the problem is, you're a bad servant because you're just using them for yourself. Use them for your likes, your desires, your ambitions, your goals. And, and that's a bad servant. A good servant would take all that the master has given and use it for the master's good, for the master's purpose. See, we don't like that in American culture. Can I go ahead and say, I know we don't like hearing that in American culture because we don't have this master-servant relationship in, in, in the American culture. And we think that's a bad thing. But the Bible is filled with the metaphor of master-servant, and I'm the servant, and God is the master. And anytime I think that the servant is autonomous from the master, and I have all the stuff that I have, and it doesn't have anything to do with God, the minute I start thinking that is the minute I have gone off the cliff. And so have you. And in a couple of weeks, we're going to talk about how you've been gifted, how we've been gifted, and how God wants to use that giftedness in the church, using the gifts that God has given for God and in the way that God intends. Not for yourself the way you intend, or for myself the way I intend. But what what Scripture does is it prepares us to navigate through every single circumstance of life with strength and power and purpose as we seek to serve God. Scripture equips us to serve. Last thing said, and and really this one's quick. I promise it's quick. You look at verses 14 and 15 of 2 Timothy chapter 3. 
verse 14 and 15. Paul is telling Timothy things are tough, things are rough, but he said, hold on to that which you have been taught. And, and namely, verse 15, the Holy Scriptures, which is able to make you wise toward salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. You see that? Last thing, Scripture makes us wise toward salvation. You know this to be true in your own experience because it's the Bible that opened your eyes, uh, the Spirit of God applying God's Word and truth to your heart that opened your eyes to see your need for Jesus Christ and His sacrificial death on the cross as payment for your sin. It it is that glorious rescuing story of God's love uh, that begins in Genesis and and culminates in Revelation but is, is, is preeminently and supremely all about Jesus and His rescue of sinners like you and me. The Bible is able to make us wise towards salvation. Not just you and me, those of us who are followers of Christ today, but it's able to make wise those who don't know God. And it's able to make them wise towards salvation. And you see, truly our goal as followers of Jesus is not to hold on to that which has made us wise towards salvation and keep it away from others, but rather as those who have received this salvation this wonderful rescue, our goal is to share that rescue with other people. That's what we talk about here at First Norway when we talk about living the mission. So as an application for this whole message, as an application, here's what we know God wants us to do. He knows he wants, we know he wants us to be his witnesses, Acts 1-8. We know he wants us to make disciples, Matthew 28. We know that he sends us out, John chapter 20, verse 21. We know that God wants us to be engaged in this mission that he inaugurated with the person of Jesus Christ. So how can we do that? Well, one way that we can do it is by taking a copy of Scripture and taking it to someone who needs to know Jesus. Today, the challenge for you and me is simply this, to make a commitment this week to take a copy of Scripture with this invite card in it. And the invite card says, What's in this book can change your life. These words have been life-changing for millions of others, and they can be for you too. We're talking about this on Sunday, October 12th at First Baptist Norfolk. We invite you to come join us and check it out for yourself. We meet at 8, 9, 30, 11, and 12, 30. Uh, Essentially, what we're saying is next week when we talk about salvation, when we talk about God's rescuing love, we want you to give people a Bible and an invitation to be here so that they can be made wise towards salvation. And even if they say they can't come next Sunday, you still give them the Bible. Why? Because the power is not in the Sunday that we meet. The power is in the Word of God. Give them the Bible to make them wise towards salvation. So the challenge for us, no bells, no whistles. This is the response time. This is the invitation. This is the call to action. You leave where you are. You pick up a Bible with a commitment. I'm going to give this to somebody I go to school with. I'm going to give this to somebody I work with. I'm going to give this to somebody uh, where, where others live, work, and play. I'm going to give this to somebody I know in my community, in my neighborhood, who needs to be made wise towards salvation. I'm going to invite them to come next Sunday, but most of all, I'm just going to give them God's Word where they can find the hope that I have in the person of Jesus Christ.